On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss whether people who live in Linux can take criticism from people who do not. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 82 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse forums, Telegram groups, Discord server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. And with me are my fine co-hosts who probably have not missed me one bit over the last few weeks. False. It kind of sounds like you're digging for some compliments or, oh no, we missed you so no. much. No, definitely not because Nate, you still have an unhealthy <laughs> obsession with OpenSUSE. False also. It's almost unhealthy. Bordering on unhealthy, but not actually unhealthy. And I did miss you because it's kind of like, um, not Stockholm Syndrome, but something like that where like you miss your abuser. Is that what it's called? I, I don't know. So that's why I missed you. I figured as much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with the introductions out of the way, Wendy, what have you been up to? I have been dealing with sick kids once again. The stomach flu ran through our house. My husband and I haven't got it yet. The last kid stopped being sick yesterday. And so until we've gone a full week without getting it, I'm not counting us as officially out of the woods yet. So that's really what's taken up most of my week. Nothing very exciting. Dealing with sick kids and catching up on some school stuff, updating the website for class and that kind of thing. Pretty much that's it. So I hope you had something more entertaining, Nate. Entertaining, yes, sort of, mostly. I don't know how I got down to this rabbit hole, but these things happen from time to time. I've been having to sit down a lot lately, unfortunately, because of reasons. I read somewhere about you can improve the performance of your system if you move your slash temp directory to RAM. Going through my system, I wasn't really sure how do I know. So I made a forum post on the Destination Linux Network forum, our discourse forum. Basically, I asked, hey, how do I do this or how do I know what my system's doing? You may or may not be surprised. I got a lot of feedback, a lot of help, and I learned a lot from the community based on how you can check. As it comes down to it, Systemd has a component in it, back to I love Systemd, that manages your temp file system. And it manages ensuring that they're cleared out so you don't actually build up all this cruft in your RAM for an extended period of time. So about 10 days is what mine's set to before it eliminates anything in the temp. So it goes through and takes care of that too, cleans everything out. I didn't actually have to change anything on my system, but now I have great information on the forum about your temp file system, how system D, at least on my computer and Fedora as well, how it manages it. I'm really happy we went through that process. I'm really grateful for all the people in the community. I'm probably going to screw it up. Nice micro, Alfnik, he can correct me. He can send me an, an audio. Rod Kirisu, they all basically chimed in and helped me work through my question. In the end, I didn't have to do anything, but there we go. Now I know a little bit more about my system, and I think that's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. I need to go check out that thread and see what all you guys talked about. It's pretty neat what people know. One of those things that's amazing, the more people you get to know, more e-friends you make, I should say, the more you have opportunities to learn new things. Yes, definitely. Matt, so I understand that you've made another purchase. Is this something crazy or is this something that's actually useful or a little bit of both? Relative to the question. <laughs> <laughs> I was in contact with a company. Like I'd been looking to go to a mixer, USB interface, kind of XLR switch up as opposed to USB microphones. Wendy, you can probably attest to this going from USB to XLR. Yep. When I have microphones that function and I can't justify the switch based on the price of things like the mixer with the microphones and all the other stuff, it's just a cost that I couldn't eat basically. So I was working with a company that I've reviewed some products for prior and they 
had sent me a offer to review a mixer that they had. And I was like, oh, cool. That kind of solves one of the problems because when do you have the, what, Scarlet, I believe? No. Oh, the Barons are... And it's their UMC-22. It's only got one mic line in. For my use cases so far, it's been pretty good, though we've talked about in the past. I would like to get one that has multiple mics inputs so I can use those or use that more for class purposes, traveling and recording audio and not necessarily home studio audio recording. So the Behringer probably would have been more up my alley. And the one that I was sent <laughs> would probably be much more up your alley <laughs> because the one I got- <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> to give you an example, the one I got, the overall total cost, because they gave me a coupon code, I had to pay for shipping. It was seven bucks. So it's hard to not take that offer. Right. I bought a cheap XLR condenser mic. You know, I didn't go with uh, the dynamic mics just because I'm not insane on my pricing. Overall, it's like 50 bucks in for that whole setup. That price I can stomach. I ended up with a 14-channel mixer board. Whoa. Wow. That's a heck of a board right there. I shared a picture with Ryan and Michael, and they just kind of laughed because literally the things like three of my full-size gaming keyboards stacked on top of each other. The thing is huge, but I've been messing around with it, and it's actually, barring the fact that it's not a USB interface, that doesn't really bother me. For the most part, it's been working fine. I've been doing a lot of content kind of tests with it and stuff just to see how it handles all of this on Linux, yes. That for me has been an interesting experience going from dealing with things in software like, you know, with pulse effects and all the other kind of stuff to more of a hardware situation to figure out. So it's been a fun experience for 50 bucks for the entire switch over. I think I can handle that to be brutally honest. Yeah, that's really awesome. So how many inputs do you can actually put in that? Like realistically, when you process it down, the way you use your equipment, how many inputs will you max out there? This also has a Bluetooth capacity too. If you have local storage on like your phone and you have a bunch of music in, you can connect it to the mixer through Bluetooth and that's going to be its own separate channel. You can mix it down however many you want, honestly. I'd probably only need like a two or three, three channel mixer board. I don't need what I got. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Gotcha. It's definitely way overkill for me. Again, given the opportunity, I couldn't really say no either. Right. Definitely like it so far, but the thing is a brick. The entire case is probably two to three inches thick, solid aluminum all around. The only criticism I have is that the knobs are a little wobbly, but Normally, this mixer runs for about 100 bucks, give or take. It doesn't have all the fancy knobs and everything else that a lot of the other ones do, but it has your typical setups of like your gains, your highs, your mids, your lows, and all the other kind of stuff. So that's what was more important right. to me than anything else. Well, that's really awesome. One that you got it for is reasonable of a price, as you did. You got some room to grow and or when you burn out a channel, you have a backup when you burn out a channel. Unless I burn out the main channel, then well... <laughs> Then that could be a problem. Time we got the soldering iron then. I'll just send it to you like I do with things for Ryan. That works. Yeah, you know, I got the fun toys for that. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and containers. 
By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of getting new things, well, LTT is back at it again. We have some new opinions. Sometimes in Linux, we tend to, I believe, live in a bubble. And when criticism from outside that bubble comes our way, we're very, 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 very defensive. But we don't seem to sometimes actually take the time to understand the criticism because it's not from people within. And even when we give the criticism from people within, we still don't pay attention, honestly. (laughs) I think this is a, a valid look that sometimes we need to escape the bubble that we live in to see maybe perception as opposed to reality. Because sometimes we get so ingrained into something that it becomes the norm when somebody from outside of it tries it, they don't see why it's the norm. Sometimes it's a valuable experience that is being shared that we kind of not necessarily poo-poo on, but we don't exactly take the heart. It's like, oh, they're a bunch of idiots. We don't know. They don't know what they're talking about kind of deal. They did have a to be fair moment where they said Windows is horrible and Linux is horrible in their own rights. We're going to break some of those complaints that they had down, see if we've had some of those same issues. Maybe ways around that. Maybe some of it's not necessarily Linux fault. Maybe it's there's another kink in the process that's causing those issues. But they definitely had some good points on stuff. They did have some good points. There was a video from them that I, I did watch that I had a few complaints about. To me, it's one of those that one complaint undermined a lot of their good points, but will not go right. quite that route yet. The first one was the password issue where he would input his user password and it would not work. It wouldn't log him in. When we all installed an OS occasionally, we've all, oh crap, you know, you hit the caps lock key. You mistype something you know, like during your password. It goes through the authentication on both times. So he thought that's what happened. So he slowly henpecked the password. So wrong. I haven't had this issue, but Wendy, you had mentioned that you had. Yes, I had. And he fixed this with a reboot the next time he booted in. It logged in just fine. He's also using Manjaro Plasma, which is what I use on all of my systems. I've only had this issue on one particular system none of the others, and that is the kitchen system. So the first time I had this issue too, I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, I seriously couldn't figure out what the problem was. And through deduction, there was an issue with a couple buttons had been switched. So one of the buttons I needed to push, letter-wise, got switched with an arrow key. And so that is why I was having issues getting my password to type in because it wasn't actually being entered properly. I was hitting all the correct keys, but the translation from the key to the actual input on screen wasn't 
working properly. And after a reboot, then everything was fine. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is kind of weird. And I don't know where that hiccup is down the line. But where I've only had it on the one system, it could be a bug maybe with that particular keyboard or something else that's going on in the process because all others are fine. So I can say user experience wise, I have seen this bug. It is just not one that is extremely common. I've been using Linux since about 2002, full-time 2003, and I've never experienced this issue ever. And it's not like I don't do awful things with my systems. I wouldn't even know where to like for his issue. I wouldn't even know where to start looking really. I guess maybe somewhere in the authentication stack somewhere. I kind of wonder though, if maybe something was updated, he hadn't rebooted or something along those lines. Either way, it's, it's a real wackadoodle kind of a problem. I think that's a new one to me, essentially. I've never even Google searched that or DuckDuckGo search or Yahoo or Amicrawler or whatever. It's so rare when it happens that I actually haven't looked for a solution to fix it either because, you know, a reboot fixes it. It's one of those things I should take the time and figure out how to fix so I could share, hey, I've had this problem. This is how I fixed it. But it pops up so rarely and just on the one system that I haven't gotten around to searching it or trying to solve the problem because. Usually when I'm at my kitchen system, I'm watching a video or listening to something, looking for a recipe, and so I just want to quickly reboot and get back to what I'm doing, let my day roll on. But I should file a bug or do some research on fixing it. I mean, if it's not a repeatable thing, it's really hard to do testing against it. So you got to get the thing to fail. Just at least put it on the form as a known issue, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of a known issue, though, one of the known issues is when you run NVIDIA hardware. (laughs) Sleeping or waking is not working. I'm assuming he's running NVIDIA hardware given some complaints that he had earlier, and I'll leave those alone. (laughs) This is a known issue. I'm not going to beat around the bush on this one. This is a issue specifically related to NVIDIA because I experience it all the time. Because I have a NVIDIA system with my Elite Book that is literally, it's a NVIDIA card. Only thing in the system for a GPU. And you shut the lid, you pop it back open, computer tries running, and you get a big black screen of nothing. (laughs) He's not wrong there, and that is an issue. I don't run into it as much on the newer hardware. Like, I have the RTX 3050 Ti system that is Intel and NVIDIA. And it runs perfectly fine. It'll go to sleep and I pop it back open and it wakes up. So I can't say he's not wrong on that one. But what I will say is personally for me, when I've run AMD stuff, I have not run into that issue. It's a NVIDIA specific issue. It is a known specific NVIDIA issue. I'm not going to make blanket statements like, oh, well, you should have been running AMD. It's just one of those. It's something that you have to kind of blame NVIDIA on. Don't know really where to go with that one. That's a hardware issue that Linux can't fix generically because the vendor don't like playing nice sometimes with Linux. Yeah, absolutely. And he did mention that even Windows has its own NVIDIA issues, so it's not specific to Linux. The more sleep-wake thing typically is in this case. But when you're dealing with some of these proprietary drivers for a specific piece of hardware, there are only so much that the operating system can do if it doesn't have access to all the tools to make it work smoothly or properly. 
Yeah, I've had my issues of like not waking up from going to sleep. I will probably blame the fact that I do use you know newer kernels with tumbleweed. It's not a common issue, at least not on, on most systems, but I only run Intel and AMD, so I can't imagine having problems very often. I've ran into more problems in Windows with going to sleep with OEM installs on corporate systems than I've ever had with Linux. That's another one of those things I'm like, it's got to be an NVIDIA issue. Because those are also NVIDIA machines from the corporate world as well. So I imagine it's some sort of a, maybe a timing thing. I don't really know. Last time I remember having a sleep-wake issue was on an NVIDIA system. As you all know, we've got two Surface devices. Both of them are running Manjaro with Plasma. And I haven't had any issues on this Stranger hardware that also has a specialty kernel with sleep-wake. That's all been pretty fine. I'm not saying that there aren't other systems, especially other esoteric hardware, that doesn't have its own issue with sleep-wake, but in my experience, the biggest time I've had it was with NVIDIA, and then I run Pretty New Kernels myself on Manjaro and haven't had that been an issue. The only time I'm having a problem with waking, it has absolutely nothing to do with my computer itself. It's one of my monitors. (laughs) My room is multi-purpose. So it's a bedroom, it's the office, it's my gym. I can't sleep if there's a bunch of light on and my one main monitor likes to just randomly turn itself on and off in the middle of the night as it's checking for different inputs. Completely annoying. So I will turn the monitor off before I go to bed so that light isn't coming on and off. And if you turn the computer back on or wake it up, More so if you're turning it on from a cold start, but you haven't turned the monitor on first, sometimes the monitor won't wake at all. So you have to enter your password. It's there. You just can't see it. Once you enter your password, the monitor's like, oh yeah, we've got stuff to display. That's a monitor issue (laughs) and not a computer or Linux issue. You know, I do have a monitor issue too, but it's that it just doesn't want to wake up. It's my new uh, ultra-wide 1440p, the Samsung. Like it takes forever for it to wake up. The monitor I'm talking about is a Samsung too. So I wonder if there's... There's multiple Samsung monitors that have some of that. I still want to sleep. I don't want to turn on a display stuff. Five more minutes, mom, please. (laughs) But it's only five more minutes, mom. (laughs) Five more minutes turns into a half hour and the next thing you know, you're late. Get your butt out of bed. Yep, that's absolutely true. Speaking of something that's potentially late, kind of like zip files. (laughs) Linus definitely had some ravings about Dolphin and they were not in the good way. So this is definitely one for all of us where we all use Plasma. We're in Dolphin all of the time and he was having issues with a zip file. And because he's using Manjaro, I know the exact path that a file will go through, a zip file will go to if you double click it. It opens an arc and you can see all of the information that is in that file. I will typically only open the file in arc if I want to know if there is a main folder because I hate extracting files and then realizing that you have a bunch of little files going all over the place instead of being contained in my one It's typically with graphic things or whatever, but I don't want all the parts of that file to go out. I want to have one main file with everything extracted in it so I can go back and find what I want to. So I'll open it in ARC, see what the file structure looks like, and see if I need to create a new folder, move that zip file in before doing the extraction process. Now, his biggest complaint was, okay, it opens it in ARC, and then you have to tell it to extract. 
and where that file is going. I don't know if he saw this feature inside Dolphin, but if you right click, you can say extract here, or you can tell it somewhere to extract. The feature in Windows where you can just drag something into a place and it extracts, that is incredibly handy. That's not one I've seen on a Linux system, and I do quite a bit with zip files, when I go to download the files for the show in editing from on Wecaster, there will be zip files, but I'm saving them in the place that I want them to be. So there will already be a DLNXtend82 folder. I will save the audio files into that folder and then right click extract here and I've got everything I need. I'm not typically moving them all over the system and it works pretty smooth. He has had better luck with Nautilus when it comes to what he wants in a file manager and whatnot. So I'd be curious, other than the zip file, because he didn't really explain, I'd be curious what about Nautilus he likes better than he does Dolphin. But for my intents and purposes, it works fine, though the drag and extract feature does sound really cool. I'd love to see that come to Dolphin near me. But otherwise, there is a very quick extract. But if you're new to a system, there are some of those things that you're missing. And that's just going to take time to find. I wanted to test to see if I understood his complaint. His complaint was that you had to open Arc. Okay, that's fine. Got a third-party app. My understanding with Windows now, I don't use generic Windows stuff because I default to 7-zip as my because I deal with RARs and zip files and every weird esoteric file format that there possibly is when I use a Windows system. Because you do esoteric. Yes, because you know it's me. This middle name. <laughs> Just like yours is OpenSUSE, Nate. Oh, just SUSE. <laughs> no, I'm going to say OpenSUSE. So I had a zip file for an episode of GameSphere. I double-clicked on it, and I opened this particular file for GameSphere, which has the main folder and then, you know, sub-files underneath it. If my understanding is correct, he was complaining you couldn't drag and drop from ARC into the file manager is what I was understanding, like a single file. I could be wrong on this. I literally just did it. Now, I don't know if that's a Manjaro thing or not. Ooh, I want to try that right now. Because I'm on Garuda, and I literally dragged and dropped the GameSphere logo from there into my downloads folder. It only dragged in that one thing. Then I dragged and dropped the entire GameSphere hierarchy that was in there, and it just extracted the entire thing. So I don't know, again, if it's maybe a Manjaro thing, but it definitely worked on this particular thing. Nope, works on Manjaro, not just Garuda. So I'm not sure if he's talking about within the actual file browser and the fact that you have to open within a third-party app. You kind of got to do that. For me, I do it in Windows, so... I don't mess around too much with the default file manager in Windows. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not discounting the experience. But from the evidence I have right in front of me, which he's running an Arch-based system, I'm running an Arch-based system. Wendy just tried it. She's running an Arch-based system. The drag and drop complaint, if you're just complaining about using a third app to extract stuff, like Wendy mentioned, you have the right-clicking you know, extract here. If you're talking about the drag and drop of a specific file, I can only go on the evidence we have that that is not the case. Yeah, I just drag and dropped from ARC to Dolphin as well. Not a problem. And then again, there's that right-click extract archive here or to a location or Autodex subfolder. Honestly, I don't understand his complaint there at all. 
To me, I feel like that's reaching. Like we're really reaching for a problem. It could be that he just assumed that it wouldn't work. And so he didn't even try it because it opens up in ARC, a new program that he hasn't played with at all. Heck, I didn't even know that ARC and Dolphin could do this. I am so flippin' excited. And it's not even a feature that I'm probably going to use very often. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for learning something new today. Why would we do the show? It could be just the assumption that this is the feature that he had in Windows, and now here we've opened up in this new program, and now I have to click the big extract button and navigate, where maybe if he would have tried to drag it across, it would have worked just fine. It's hard to say because we're not living looking over his shoulder, and I don't want to. It needs to be his own experience, but some of those features that he thinks are lacking or that other people think are lacking might be there. You just access them in different ways. And this is where having someone to guide you along the way definitely makes a difference. We had some criticism from the first time that we were talking about LTT going Linux and saying, hey, you know, they've got all these resources, they can ask for help. And then it was after we had released that episode, they had said, no, we don't want help. But me as a new Linux user when I was switching, heck, even now, right, I'm still learning stuff. I go to the forms. There's still something that I can't do or something that I want to do. I still go to the forms and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I want to do. You don't have to use your real name because I can understand the point of they are a big name. They are a very big channel. There are a lot of eyeballs on them. So not wanting to get extra help that the average user wouldn't be using. I totally get that. At the same time, it's really easy to make a bigger deal of things. I don't want to say make Linux look bad because I know it has its problems, just like Windows has its problems and Mac has its problems. But I really don't know any new user that dove into it and didn't do any research, didn't ask questions on any forms. There was no community interaction that for one is part of Linux in general, but I feel it is part of the new user experience going and searching and looking for solutions. They have said that they have done some of that, some Googling. In my case, it would be DuckDuckGoing to find answers to questions, but the community forms are definitely one of the best places to get answers or find solutions from other people that have been in that situation and can say, hey, here's one of the best ways to do it. Though one of their complaints was saying, and I know Matt will definitely dive into this one, (laughs) there's more and more people saying, oh, just use the terminal. Just use the command line. You can solve all of your problems there. And I have my gripes with that because, yes, I find the command line to be an amazing tool and you can get a lot done. That is actually where I run my speed test. That's where I like to update. The command line is amazingly powerful, but I also don't like people just copy and pasting commands from a website or from whoever and not understanding what that command does, what those specific parts of that command mean. That's a really good way to get in trouble. It's like saying, hey, here's this pill. Just take it. It'll fix your problem. Mm, no. I need to know exactly what it is, what the side effects are, what is it supposed to do before anything like that, and the command line should be the same way. Even if you're following a tutorial, 
It should be, okay, I've been giving this command. This is what it's saying it's doing. Let's break this down. What are all these different parts mean? So there's an understanding of when I hit enter, what is this doing to my system? Most people don't want to dive into that. They want to do the everyday GUI experience and run it like an average user. My issue with the command line stuff is from a documentation standpoint too. I know we've been over this. I'm not going to retread it. But the short version is because Linus was originally on Pop! OS from my understanding from what I've seen so far. There was an issue with installing Steam from the Pop! Shop. So he decided to, I don't want to say force install, but he went to the command line, tried installing Steam that way. Because there was a 32-bit library that was lacking in Steam, he hit enter and guess what? It removed all the 32-bit libraries, so it borked the system. That's where I have a problem. Ouch. Yeah. Because the help is saying, do this. But in fairness, I'm not saying that the problem was the pop shop or any of that. If you're going to offer something like that, make sure it's up to date. Like, I'm just going to say, that's a repo issue. So that's on the distro maintainer and maker. Totally valid criticism. Also, when it's going to remove a bunch of stuff, when you type in a command, that's basically all your 32-bit libraries. That part's the user error, so the problem's between the keyboard and the chair. I have done my own dumb things with moving things that I wasn't supposed to. That's part of having that power, whether it's a Linux system or a rooted phone. I have messed up both in the past. Trial and error. It happens, and the only person you can blame is the person sitting in the chair. Yeah, once you hit enter, that's on you. I'm going to levy criticism on both ends there. I did want to say, though, to Wendy's point she made earlier, I personally do like to go to ruckusbucket.com and get all my terminal commands and medical advice. It's a great place because you know everyone there at Ruckus Bucket doesn't want to cause a ruckus at all. So <laughs> supposed to be a joke. Not a very funny one. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing like don't get help to me that was just a little bizarre from my perspective because there's never been a time from my early days from starting on the commodore 64 to having an amiga to dos windows whatever that i was never like well i don't know how to do this i guess there's never been a time where i thought that was a good idea to just not get help and so that i found that a little bit kind of bizarre to me because it's like it's a different system and if you approach it with all somebody's technical experience Obviously, he knows Windows and all of its issues at the granular level, how everything functions together and so forth. You can't apply those same solutions from Windows to Linux. The solutions aren't going to be the same. So you're going to get frustrated because you're relying on the experience that you've had. Now, if you just rely on your problem-solving experience and searching for problems you know, that you may encounter, that's a different ball of wax. You know, he's frustrated because it's not working like he expected. You know, his zip issue was a non-issue. He just didn't use it in the same way. That's kind of like me being really upset with how my DeWalt batteries slide into my power tool as opposed to not jamming it up in there like a Ryobi. They work differently. They do a very similar function or the same function even, but they just attach differently. It doesn't make one better than the other. I mean, I think it does. He's not taking into account that this was put together a little bit differently. That's a user problem, not so much a system problem from my perspective. The approach was wrong, essentially. Yeah, the approach is wrong. However, he is not wrong about when he says that most sane, normal, everyday end users are going to stare at a blinking cursor and go, what the heck, for the short version of that. I get what he's saying with the quote-unquote over-reliance on the command line to solve solutions sometimes. But on 
on the same note, from a documentation point, he is not wrong on that particular front. However, you can do probably 90% of what you need to from the GUI. And there are people that I know, I've literally never seen the command line. My dad is one of them, and he probably never will see the command line just because he doesn't need to. The other thing that I think was taken in maybe the wrong form or the solution wasn't found is they said that you can't force close a misbehaving application. And that's not true. You just don't do it in the same way that you do it in Windows. I have had to force close some applications, especially some games that I've started and they're just being funky or won't work. There was a time when I was running Rapid Photo Downloader, not on this system. I'm sorry there. It was on Fedora and an updated hit and it just was not working properly anymore. And I needed to force close that application. The way that it is done or the way that I do it is typically go into system monitor processes, find the thing that's being a pain in the butt right-click it and end the process. But there is a way to close misbehaving applications. You're just not doing it with the same key combination that you're using in Windows. One of those things that it's there, it's just different. I understand that when you are taking on a new system, because I did this really not that long ago, I am still very new to Linux in the scope of things, especially when you compare me to Nate and his many, many more years years inside this ecosystem. Not all things are done the same. Just like an Apple device and an Android device are both quote-unquote smartphones, or as my husband would say, smarter than me phones, but they do things different. Some of those processes are still there. They're just done in different ways. And this is one of those situations where I think it's a little getting ahead of yourself to say it's not there when maybe a bit more digging needs to be done or, like I said, asking a question in a form. I've killed many bad processes on my system. In Plasma, I hit Control-Alt-Escape and I get a little uh, skull and crossbone in red and I click on whatever application is ailing me. It's gone. <gasps> Heck yeah, that works. Sweet. Wendy's learning a bunch of new things today. <laughs> <laughs> well, after you said that, I'm like, really? Is that really an actual issue? Or are you reaching again? I thought it was another reach. Maybe he should have just taken some time to maybe read some documentation or ask questions how to kill a process. That's an easy one. There are shortcut keys in your system. You could have searched for that too. I don't know. That was another reach to me. I didn't get that one at all. Again, I'm just going to say I don't know how he's researching, quote unquote, researching stuff or looking at stuff other than supposedly from the new user perspective. But let's be real, most new users, regular everyday users, most of them aren't going to Google foo their uh, problems. They're just going to usually go to a shop and say, hey, fix it. Well, sure. That's most generic end users, really. The can't kill a process thing. I don't know if he's talking about like all the documentation specifically as it relates to help to kill a process is talking X kill or whatever for your process. Or if he actually took the 22 seconds that it probably would have taken to look for a system monitor, it just doesn't default to the actual processes tab like he's used to probably on Windows. It defaults to an overview instead. So you got all your system monitor and all that stuff. But then if you go and click on the thing that says processes and look for the thing that's eating your CPU or is like dead, just right click on it 
like you would in Windows. The only thing that I can maybe see him being a little confused about is like the interrupt, terminate, kill, all those. But literally underneath that the for the send signal is end process. So I don't know what he's technically complaining about. And I know for a fact when you have a hanging application, usually in Plasma anyway, and you multi-click the close button, it'll usually ask you, do you want to kill off this application? Like, do you want to terminate the process? Oh, right. Yeah. So... Again, I'm not sure the angle he's coming from, so I can't give like a valid criticism one way or the other. I can only give what is available in front of me to that generic complaint. A lot of the issues I take are not so much that he has complaints because some of them have been valid, like lying on the command line one, the NVIDIA issue. There are some valid complaints. What I take issue with is there's so many random, just kind of generic complaints. They're not specific. So you can't like nail them down to like, this is exactly what it is. This is what's right. This is probably why. So we can only guess. He talks about wanting to make the overall experience from the community better, but being generic on your problems doesn't solve the problem that you're looking to solve. When you have a technically minded crowd, which is most of the Linux community, let's be honest, not all of them, but a good portion of it, give them specifics and we can actually better troubleshoot. It's kind of like working in corporate IT and you get the computer user that calls you and hey, I'm staring at a big blank screen of nothing. Okay, so let me go through these 50 steps and to come to find out they unplugged the monitor. It's one of those kind of deals. That's the <laughs> vibe I'm getting from this. It's not a criticism. It's just be more specific. I know WAN show is kind of like the off the cuff, off the hip kind of show and what they're talking about. But on the same note, be specific enough so that the community can actually help you. Like, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying the way you're going about the community actually trying to interact and help you because you can't tell me you can't go online and type in this problem with Mac OS, this problem with Windows, and you're going to find some ancient documentation as well. Linux, it's a smaller subset, so obviously some of the documentation is going to be older. Again, I'm trying to keep an open mind on the angle he's coming from. Unfortunately, half of it is nice and specific. The other half is nice and generic. So it's hard to nail down exactly how to fix the problems. And like you said, Nate, I think some of them, like the ARC zip file issue is a reach. I think killing our process is a reach based on the information that has been given. The process in which he went to do those, that is where I'm more interested in but he's not giving that information enough to actually be like, right. oh, okay. Because I can't yeah. see from your eyes how you're trying to interact with the system. We can just tell you, well, that's not the way it goes or it works or, oh, this is why. And that's where I think a lot of the problem lies. I want to hear these criticisms. Like I find the ones like the NVIDIA issues. That's a Linus Torvalds moment with NVIDIA maybe. I think that stuff's really important though. This is going to seem like a mixed bag kind of message, I think, unfortunately, from us, because we can only go on by what we're seeing when we use a system. Here's my issue. I've used Windows and Mac. And I'm primarily a Linux user, so I'm most comfortable there, obviously. When I approach a problem on Windows and it doesn't work the Plasma or OpenSUSE way or the Linux way, I don't complain that it's not working right or it's not ready or anything like that, because I understand that some things work a little differently. From my perspective and how I like to use computers, I think like Mac OS is incredibly cumbersome and difficult to use. And maybe it's changed now because I haven't really used Mac in a while, mostly because I refuse. But there's different right-click functions or like to copy and paste things. 
you know, I couldn't find how to do very simple functions in Mac. So I said, oh, we just do it like this. It's real simple. Like, well, I would not have thought to look like that. It wasn't obvious to me. You know, you're right when you say you should be careful how you phrase things or how you present your arguments, but you have to look at it from a perspective of this is another solution to the same problem. I have to look at this solution differently than what I am accustomed. Little things like being patient and willing to ask questions. I am a kind of computer guy and I can fall into the trap of being prideful and not asking for help when I don't know how to do something on Windows or Mac. And I do have to dig into a forum. I do have to ask experts and whatever, how do you do this thing? Oh, that's simple. You just have to go here, 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 and here. Well, I didn't know I had to go that deep just to edit a very simple thing in a registry. Okay, thanks. Things are just different. If you don't approach it with a perspective of humility, where you like, I don't really know how to do something, admit, take off that pride for a little bit and say, I don't know how to do this. Somebody else has worked on a solution differently than what I'm used to and acknowledge that. That's all I'm saying in that regard. Try to take an objective viewpoint of the problem. Based on the reaching of that discussion, and it could just be venting, a little disappointed at what I heard, but to each his own. It's always an adventure to try something new. And I love the fact that they are sharing their experience because it does give them a way to kind of vent some of those frustrations or a way to find solutions. That is, if they are reading or looking for some of those additional solutions, this is definitely a journey they're on. Part of me is a little worried because I don't want Linux in general to get a bad rap from some of the things that they're sharing. So I do feel that they have more of a responsibility to not say, hey, this feature just isn't there, like killing an application that isn't working properly, and they need to be spending more time or looking for that solution before saying there isn't one. But at the same time, I understand that this is something new. None of us get brand new stuff out of the gate perfectly. And in order for them to have more of an understanding of where some of these features are, what the differences are, and where to find those features, it's just going to take time. What do all of you think about this topic? Are there other ways that you do things that we've talked about that solve these problems why don't you share them with us? Let's make a list of ways that we can work with each other and new users to help them as they're migrating from a Windows or Mac system to Linux. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead 
device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So now that we've gave our thoughts on LTT and their trying of Linux, Wendy, what have you been trying? Nothing. I have absolutely nothing for host-related interests. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a family and you know, you know kids are sick and stuff. Kind of hard to do stuff. <laughs> absolutely. Nate, tell us about how your pie hole is working and any updates you've had to it lately. Sure. I installed the pie hole some time ago. We've talked about it in the past. And I've ignored for quite some time this little like glowing indicator on the bottom of the screen, the web interface, I should say, saying there is an update. Seeing that update tick up a few times. And I thought, well, I'm kind of stuck on my rear end anyway for a little while. Let me dig into this problem. I clicked on it. It says, well, I have to go into terminal and do this, whatever. So I did a secure shell into it. And I ran the command in terminal, pihole, tack up to update. And then I got this error, unable to update the package cache, you know, do sudo apt get update. Okay, no problem. So did a sudo apt get update. Still didn't work. And I thought, well, maybe it worked, but it just gave me a warning. I'm not really an apt guy. The suite went from stable to old stable. So maybe it's fine. So then I did a pihole up again, got the same error about not able to update some of the packages. So then I had to go uh, do some digging because I'm not so um, prideful that I think I know everything. I searched several things to find it. I didn't get an answer right away because I guess maybe people who are better about sysadmin and keeping things updated, this wouldn't be an issue. But regardless, and it wasn't actually that big of a difference. And I thought they really meant the same thing anyway. But I had to do sudo apt update. So unlike what was explicitly requested you do by the pie hole, it fetched a lot more things. I know it kind of switched some things around on the back end. It put on the Raspbian buster. And then 104 packages could be upgraded. So I did the process to upgrade. Again, you're doing pihole up and everything is updated and good to go. So I just kind of wrote my notes down. What I did, put it on cubiclenate.com and give you a link for the show notes. And so everything is good to go. It wasn't difficult. It was just knowing to do the correct process to get it done. It's doing its thing that needs to be done. I'm enjoying the network-wide ad blocking still. One of these is still on my wish list. And I almost got one bought not too long ago. One of these days, it'll actually happen because I would love to have that option. I was thinking that it was a solution that I could do directly on my router. I am running a Synology router and inside of the software for it, you can do different settings. So I have a profile for each child and their profile is set to child. I can directly turn off the internet access to all of their devices. Yes, because their devices are registered as them. So their computers, their tablets, whatever. And I can put completely can shut down their access to the internet from their devices. Happy mommy. Oh, nice. But at the same <laughs> time, its ad blocking feature, I haven't found super great. On some things, it works fine. But then you take YouTube, for example, and some of these ads will pop up. I've mentioned before, you know, I do find value in advertising. But at the same time, some of the things that show up to kids are completely completely inappropriate and it's one of those safety parental controls that is part of the reason why it's there especially for children's devices i'm just gonna have to go ahead get a raspberry pi and get the pie hole set up in order to have more of that flexibility with that especially with the phoning home so are you still noticing that maybe your speeds are not necessarily better but things just run smoother because it's not getting that constant phone home back and forth with specific devices. It's not like the throughput is better, but the speed in which pages load because it's blocking a lot of the malicious adware out there that take up way too many system resources. Right. What you do notice is 
your system runs cleaner, like all your systems run cleaner because the browsers aren't ingesting all that cruft that they normally do because it's being blocked by the uh, pie hole. I notice it more prominently on mobile devices because, you know, a computer has a lot more horsepower than a, a mobile. I can compare loading something inside my network versus on somebody else's network, which might actually be faster, but my phone does not run nearly as well. And probably because it's a mid-tier phone that's more prominent. But it's something else to think about too. Say you have a metered service, which a lot of places are metered now. You're chewing up your data that you have because of malicious ads. I call them malicious. If they chew up resources, they're malicious as far as I'm concerned. And so if you're on a metered plan, you have to have a pie hole. I think there's a question of how ethical it is that these ads run so you know, perniciously on sites. And I think that it's your obligation to block them. And I think it's unfortunate we're at the stage where you have to do that, but there's a lack of responsibility by ad agencies. And so you have to do what you have to do to protect yourself and to not cost yourself extra funds. So there, I mean, there's really a lot of layers of, as to why it's great. Like the videos that'll automatically start on some websites and they have nothing to do with the content you're looking for. That's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> why is this web page talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, please. Although I think Firefox is good about that. If you're running Firefox, you don't have that problem. It's more it is other good, browsers yeah. that have, they don't prevent media from automatically playing. So Matt, you are one of the many enablers of the internet, but the most incredible enablers that I know that actually gets me to buy things. What is it that you're going to try and um, push on us today? It is a point and click adventure game with a 3D design called Silence. This is as a time of recording on Steam for $2. Oh my gosh. It is definitely a game that I think would fit kids who like whimsical kind of story-driven games. It's a sequel to, I can't remember the original game. I think it's Whispering Winds, if I remember correctly. The character is in a coma and wakes up and has to go back to basically like a dreamland to rescue their sister. It's an interesting concept and I, I just always find those stories kind of fun and I'm usually not a big fan of the type of art style but for some reason in this particular game it works. It almost reminds me of another game called uh, Recore that I'm a big fan of so like the art style just kind of works for me because I kind of get that vibe with it but it's got like a steampunky kind of vibe to it from like an artistic design design kind of view so i've only played about 10-15 minutes of it but it's definitely a game that i'm looking forward to playing through and that two dollars it's definitely worth getting um so i would definitely recommend this to any of the kids that may be wendy <laughs> <laughs> that is the game recommendation for this week and you're welcome nate go buy it yeah i already did actually uh so darn you, yeah Matt. me too i just purchased there we go it's done <laughs> <laughs> at two dollars it's really hard not to the art style is the thing that kind of sold me like the nature of the art style just kind of works really well plus i still had 50 cents inside my steam wallet and this is definitely one of the games that fits in that genre there's a bundle that you can buy just underneath it and i already see some of the games that i already own so for me not only do i really enjoy this type of art style it is lumped together with other games i already know that I enjoy and play. One of those is Candle. So if you have played Candle based on my recommendation and you liked it, this is paired with that. It could be another one that's up your alley. True. I keep thinking this show has cost me more money than anything else. No Between kidding. the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy just has you buying hardware. I usually just have you buying video games. Difference. No, I bought Candle because of her too. I noticed that same house made Candle. There's a bundle I was really close to buying, but other recommendations from times past have uh, picked off a few of those. Wendy's just as much of an enabler as I am. I have 
have admitted to that in the past. I have. I know. I do it too. And you're welcome. Yours just usually happens to be more hardware related. <laughs> Occasionally Typically. software. But one of the other things I did want to mention is that on December 13th at 9 a.m., we are doing a 24-hour charity live stream for St. Jude's Children's Hospital what better time of year than to do a charity event? St. Jude's is actually a really good organization. They provide services for children. The cost is not passed on to the family. Something that allows families that have terminally ill children, that kind of stuff, to have the best gift that can ever be given, and that's more time with those children. I figured it was a great time of year to kind of support that and kind of our way of giving back to the rest of the world, leave it a little bit better place kind of deal. One of the other things is with this, we'll also be giving a $50 donation to from a list of open source projects that the community will be deciding on where that goes to as well. The list of projects that are there are not going to be your typical, oh, give it to KDE Plasma or any of those. These are more lesser known projects, things like Inkscape and a few other projects that don't get as much love as I think that they should. So that's the mindset to going into some of that list of potential open source projects as well. That'll be, again, December 13th this year, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. That'll be going till 9 a.m. on the 14th. I'm going to be tired after that. That you will. One other thing. The community will be deciding on what multiplayer games we are playing. It's going to be a mix and match of multiplayer and single player. Oh! The list does not include Zenotic because Zenotic is a foregone conclusion. <laughs> well, there you go. Are we going to play Among Us? Uh, no. <laughs> Oh, dang Come it. on. That's one no. of my faves. It's one of my faves, too. This is not strictly tied to just like Lanks gaming. This is kind of going to be all over the map gaming. So that's why we're doing a mixing match of the game styles. You can play Among Us on all different kinds of platforms. I know my family is super excited about the update that's coming. That's nice. That's not a game we're looking to play. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the community to all rally behind Among Us. Just to force Matt into yes. it. Yes. Just to make Matt play. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Matt. Don't be a Grinch. The Grinch that stole Christmas gaming. By a humbug. <laughs> Same difference, right? He's a mean one. Yes, I am. Mr. Matt. But with that said, I wouldn't game with him with a 29 and a half foot pole. Where's the 10 and a half foot pole? Or is that a controller? I wouldn't use a controller with a 29 and a half foot cord. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now I'm reaching. That's just a few things that we got going on. Most of the details are going to be in the forum post or on the YouTube community tab. There is currently a selection of games that will be available in the forum post for you to select whether or not we play. All right, so make sure everyone votes for a among us. Sure there's a right in Canada yes. somewhere. In the comments, yeah. Oh, trust me. <laughs> Nate and I will be there bugging the crap out of you and we will get everybody to join us in bugging the crap out of you. It's for charity. Absolutely. I'll bug you for charity. I'll bug you without charity. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. And I will continuously tell people that you have an unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE. Almost. The plushy need I say more. Just because it's by my pillow every night doesn't mean anything. The screenshot, the episode where he admitted it.
We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and all our shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. If you would like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Or drop us a message on the contact form by visiting dlnxtend.com backslash contacts. Be sure to check out the DLNN merch store and grab yourself some awesome DLNXTEND swag along with our merch from other shows across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLNXTEND. Until next week, have a great week, everybody. 